Shane Young, NBA columnist and analyst for Forbes Sports, is joining us. Shane, good morning. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Ah, tons of angst. Back-to-back losses to the Timberwolves. The lead in the West is down to one game. The Suns are supposed to struggle on this road trip. The Jazz are supposed to pull away by beating easy teams. It's not happening. Shane, what is going wrong? Oh, yeah. And it's like, you know, you say losing two straight to the Timberwolves, um, at least the Jazz don't have to see Minnesota in a couple months. (laughs) At least Minnesota's mathematically eliminated from playoff contention. So it's actually kind of funny that that this stuff happens in the NBA where the Jazz could have the number of a of a high profile contender. They could just, you know, stomp them down a couple of times, but then they struggle with some of this bottom level competition. And, you know, that that that's that tends to happen with contenders. They I'm not gonna say they overlook the Timberwolves, but I think everyone understands that every player in the NBA is capable of catching fire or putting together a, a, a big run and and they just underestimated them for a bit. So, yeah, two straight games worth, I would be pretty upset as well. So whenever Donovan Mitchell returns to full health with the ankle injury, do you think that that solves the issues that they're having right now? I don't think necessarily it solves just flat out not making shots. I mean, that's kind of just like I, – I tend to I tend to favor like just unluckiness. I think that you can point a lot of the problems to – Last night, you know, they generate 15 corner threes. If you generate 15 corner threes in the NBA, you're a dynamic offense. I think the Jazz and Clippers are the two best offenses when it comes to creating those open looks, even though the Nets technically have the best offense in the NBA because of their firepower. And the Jazz made two of them. They shot two of 15 from the corners. And I'd be willing to guess, I think the player tracking data comes out soon, I would be willing to guess that a lot of those were wide open. And, and, you know, 14 of 41 from the non-corner threes, um, I'd be willing to bet a lot of those are wide open. So, you know, maybe you just chalk up last night to whatever. But I think think Donovan does help with their paint attacks and getting into the paint and and helping find the open man a little bit easier and quicker. Um, I think one thing that we've seen – at least I saw, I'm not sure about you guys, you can tell me how you feel about it, but I, I saw Rudy Gobert last night just not get a lot of touches that he normally would, even when he got switches with Rubio on him in the post. Gobert puts his hands straight up in the air, clearly the tallest guy on the court, especially in that mismatch, and you know you could easily get the ball to him. It's just like, you know, you see Conley, Ingles, uh, and, and Bogdanovich, all these guys, kind of dance around it and try try to get it to him late or not get the right passing angle. I think Donovan Mitchell is clearly behind Ingles as like maybe the best passer on the team. So I think he does help in that regard. Shane Young joining us, NBA columnist and analyst for Forbes Sports. So when you watch the Suns come in and you watch the Jazz struggling, are you thinking the top two teams, the top two contenders, or are your eyes still on the Clippers and on the Lakers? Oh man, it's it's been tough because I think the last time we talked, Phoenix wasn't doing this hot. They were coming, but they weren't blistering hot yet. Um, I think right now you're looking at it. Um, I, I think the Jazz are going to be the number one seed, and the Suns are probably going to be number two. All the Suns have to do is beat the Clippers, um, beat the Clippers on Wednesday, and that gives them another game advantage. 
and then they just have to close out without stinking up the joint. So they could they could lose a couple of games as long as they don't lose more than the Clippers, they'll be fine. But those will be those might be the top two seeds. Does it mean that they are the best teams in the conference? I'm not sure. I think the Jazz securing the number one seed helps a good deal because they they would only have to see the Lakers in the second round and. Like it, I just don't, I just don't have a good feel about how a Lakers Jazz series would go because we've seen what zero total games of the full healthy rosters going at each other. Um, I think the one time the Jazz beat down on the Lakers, it was, um, you know, uh, or I think a couple times the Jazz beat down on the Lakers, it was without AD and LeBron. So it, it, it's been kind of tough to gauge. Um, I, I, I kind of do think though that the Clippers would be happy with the way the seeding ends because they would, they would get an easier opponent in the first round because they, they the Clippers have kind of handled the Blazers uh, so far this season. So if that's the matchup, then I think they would be happy with that. And then the Suns, obviously if you play the Suns, I think they I think they view Phoenix as less of a threat than Utah. Um, I, I do, you know, being around the Clippers this year, I do think they view Utah as a team that can give them a lot of problems in a potential West final series because of how well Utah switches and how well, uh, they are as an oiled machine defensively. It's you know they're they're extremely well coached and probably the best coached team in the NBA. So I guess all that to say there are four teams still that I think could win the title in the West, and those are going to be the the LA teams and Phoenix and Utah. It's really too hard to it, it, right now. It's too difficult to pick who would be the favorite. I think. Do you see any of these first-round opponents possible? We don't know who it is, obviously, but do you see any of them giving the Jazz some trouble in the first round? I would be terrified of Stephen Curry. Um, I, I'm I'm just a big Steph fan, <laughs> and I think that he, if you give him an opportunity to go into Utah, if they got the eighth seed, if the Warriors won the playing tournament and got the eighth seed, if you give him an opportunity to go into Utah where he's had some some success throughout his playoff career. That one series they played in 2017, I believe. Um, I, I think I, I would be a little bit scared. I'd be a little bit nervous because all it takes is one or two games for Steph to get hot, steal a road game, and then you're going back to the San Francisco. So it's like, man, I, that's a flamethrower I would not want to face. Um, if I was the Jazz, obviously you're kind of hoping for Memphis, uh, who I believe Utah has beat three times this year, right? All within a, a week span. <laughs> um, or San Antonio. I think San Antonio just doesn't have um, a lot of the defense that would be necessary to guard Utah's um, Utah's creativity. Utah is one of the most creative offenses in the league this year. So I would be hoping for San Antonio and Memphis. I'd be really kind of nervous about Golden State. You think the uh, play-in series is here to stay? That it is uh, minimizing? It'll never eliminate tanking, but maybe minimizing tanking and shutting guys down. You know, I I'm I'm actually a fan of the play-in situation of the, the scenario where you you you're kind of right there. You do these uh, disincentivized tanking where you um, have these teams at the bottom that have maybe a three or four week span longer than they would normally in the season to look at the standings and say, Hey, we can make a run because I know you guys remember last year or, or the, the few years before there were teams that it would be February 
and they would shut it down. They would just be like, oh, well, we're six games out. That's a lot to make up considering we're not that good of a team. Let's just rest everyone or let's, let's put our uh, top superstars on the shelf. And I'm glad, I'm really glad that that's not happening with, you know, say Zion Williamson. The Pelicans are not going to make it because they're just too far out and they, and they can't seem to string together a good win streak. So cross them out. But it, it's that type of team that you look at and say, I'm glad that this team and this player, this dynamic top 20 player in the NBA is able to play longer into the season and beat high playoff minutes because they're, they're trying to get that playoff spot. So I like the playing tournament. Uh, the one thing I, I'm kind of, I want to get your opinion on that I've kind of wanted for a long time is I think it, maybe I'm, maybe I'm alone in this or maybe I'm on an island by myself, but I think the top seeds in every conference. So like maybe the Jazz and technically Brooklyn right now, if you're going to have a playing tournament where they don't know their playoff opponent until a few days, a couple of days before it starts, because that's been that's been a situation where like the Clippers and the Suns they're going to know their playoff opponent quicker than the Jazz will. Gives a little bit less preparation time, uh, less time to really get some practice in for that particular opponent. If you're not going to know who you're playing, I think you should be able to pick your opponent from the pool of the eight seed, seven seed, and six seed. Maybe I think those bottom three seeds, once the playing tournament has been played, should be able to pick who they want to play the, the jazz. So, you know, I, I, I kind of just think that that's the fairest way to do it. If Utah is going to w- focus on the regular season, get the number one seed and be the best team in the, in the league all season, there has to come some like re- reward for that. And I think the reward would be deciding who you want to play. I don't do think, think, yeah, I don't think teams are going to want that. I don't think they're going to want that responsibility. It, 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 you're basically, you're saying, hey, you're not good enough, so you're disrespecting somebody right from the get go and firing them up. I think, uh, I think teams are going to complain about that and not, not want that. Yeah, I, I understand that point of view. Like, it, it, I, I don't think, basically, what I'm saying, I don't think a lot of the owners that would have to vote for this to get it approved would even go for it. There might be just be a third of the league that, that likes the idea, but it's just something that's been floating around in NBA circles where there, there just needs to be a higher incentive for, or a higher reward, I should say, for getting that number one seed and going through this ridiculous grind of a season. How much does it concern you if a team is relying a lot on threes that when they get to the postseason that there might be an issue making those threes? It's definitely been a concern uh, for me, uh, particularly because I, I see I, I tend to gravitate towards jump shooting teams, teams that unlock a lot of their offense from three um, and that value higher efficiency shots. Um, I, I think if you, the more threes you take, as long as they're not just run up the court, jack it up in someone's face and shoot a contested shot, uh, I think that as long as it's a good, open, clean look that's derived from good paint attacks. I think driving into the paint is the first key that you have to have. And, you know, the two teams that I mentioned before that are the best at creating those shots, the Jazz and the Clippers, I think they do it the right way. I think if you – I'm not trying to dog on this team by any means because, you know, I've done that quite a bit in the past, but the team that you could look at and say maybe – or definitely a lot of these shots that they shoot from three are not good looks is the Houston teams in the James Harden era – 
particularly when Mike D'Antoni got there, I think that's not a good way to do it. But then you look at it and say, oh, well, those Rockets made it to the West Finals a, a couple times, twice since 2015, and they nearly maybe should have won in 2018. So if, if that's the bad way of doing it and it still worked out, I think you look at like the Golden State teams of the last few years, maybe San Antonio in 2014 that shot a lot of threes. They succeeded. They won the title. Uh, they did have a lot of superstar power on their teams, but, hey, that's what you need in the NBA. I think it's going to come down to more so the star power. Donovan Mitchell, can he create his own offense in the mid-range at the rim whenever teams switch and put bigger bodies on him or like-sized bodies on him? Um, that's going to be more important to me than maybe Joe Eagles, Boyan Madonovich, Mike Conley knocking down their shots because if you've had a five- or six-month sample of these guys hitting the shots, I tend to just trust the, st- the statistics, and I tend to trust the um, tendencies that say these guys are still going to make their shots, especially in a playoff environment, guys, that's not going to be like fully packed with fans, especially if Utah goes on the road. I know Utah does have a lot of fans, if, am I, if I'm correct, but I know if they go on the road, other teams don't have necessarily a lot of fans, so I'm not very worried about their shots not going in. Shane Young, NBA columnist and analyst for Forbes Sports, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So, do you think the Jazz come out of this funk? Do you give them much hope Friday night? Uh, Probably shorthanded without Donovan Mitchell in Phoenix, or this is going to continue until Mitchell comes back and the one seed's going to be gone and just deal with it and adapt. I do give them a a good or decent, a good chance in Phoenix just because the, the games that we've seen or at least the last game we saw between the Jazz and Suns was really close, um, came down to the wire. You know, just some d- decisions here and there or some shots here and there fall. So I think uh, I think the Jazz could definitely get it together and start, you know, maybe going another five or six game win streak here. It's just it's going to be tough until you get Donovan back um, to really lean on somebody in those moments. Uh, I know, you know, and, and we also have to point out, like, they would have won last night maybe like a 98% chance they would have won last night if Rudy Gobert just switches on that last play defensively. So, you know, that that's just like a, that's a mental error right there that you can kind of chalk up as, as a one-off, I think, because he's one of the best defensive players in the world. Um, so I'm not really concerned. I think they can get together here, but I, I think we just can't, we can't deny that Phoenix is really good and Phoenix has maybe the, one of the five best players to go against Rudy Gobert and the Jazz's defense, and that's Chris Paul. I mean, Chris Paul, to me, is probably the third best point guard of all time, just the third best. You know, his, his greatness is not going to be elevated because of the, the lack of accolades, but uh, he's supremely talented, and it, it, it's going to be – you're going to hear a lot of chatter if the Suns do go 3-0 and against the Jazz this year and how – that, you know that's just a series that no that that Utah doesn't want, but I, I kind of think that's overblown. I think you know a couple of those games you could go either way, and uh, I'm not. I, I still think the Jazz are probably right behind the Clippers in terms of playoff potency. Um, I, I, I kind of I'm not sold on the Suns yet um, in terms of being like this team that that could beat the Lakers, beat the Clippers, beat the Jazz. That'd be a really tough playoff grind for them, especially in their first year together. So um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Friday night. 
Shane, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Anytime, guys. Shane Young, NBA columnist and analyst for Forbes Sports.